0: Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like
1: building something that has legacy.
0: Good morning, welcome to another week of Dubai Works Business Podcast. I said, I almost said podcast like the Arabic. Okay, uh, sorry. Yeah, this week's guest is Charlie Wright, uh, the co-founder of Hoppy. Charlie is a Dubai-based entrepreneur who previously had a venture in the gaming industry and his latest business, Hoppy, is a new premium daily contact lens brands brands that sells direct to consumers via hoppy.com. Hoppy exists to disrupt the antiquated contact lens retail model which uh, in itself is really interesting, and bringing high quality daily lenses to consumers at honest prices. They also work with the world's leading lens manufacturer, PegaVision. Hoppy Lens is launched in the UAE and is set to expand across the Gulf and then into Southeast Asia. Today, we'll be talking about how Hoppy came about uh, and also direct consumer business, uh, what you need to think about, and then raising funds and planning for growth. Welcome, Charlie. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, we were just discussing. It's nice to be back in the studio. Uh, how have the last few months been?
1: Yeah, we were just saying it's been, I'd say tumultuous has been probably the, the key word. Um, a whole host of different emotions from personally to, to the business perspective side of things. But um yeah like we said we had a coffee with a couple of friends in in february and and we could never have anticipated what was going to come about in uh in march um but in terms of business perspective you know we saw you know we launched the business properly in january we had um two months of real lessons learned you know crazy times, some some positives loads of negatives we went into march thinking right we've got all this you know, hypothetically, we've nailed everything. Now we know supply chain works, we know the internet, yeah. and, and we know our sort of marketing strategy products all there. we started March incredibly well first five days, you know, we were sort of touching wood everywhere to be like, let's just keep this train going. And then, you know, suddenly, um, you know, mid March, everything sort of changed for us, um, and and the whole world, essentially, as well, for, for various different reasons. So mm-hmm. it's been crazy. Um, but I think Sort of on the flip side, it's probably been the, the best thing that could have ever happened to an early business like ours. Um, in what way? I just think um, it's really streamlined our approach mm. um, in two ways. From a, an organization, an operational perspective, um, we, we sort of, we've dialed in on profitability. You know, how quickly can we get to the goal of being a profitable business? Um, whereas so many players in, in the direct consumer space in the States have got acquisition, you know, at all costs. Can we get market share very quickly and go Just, from
0: kind of customer acquisition? Customer acquisition. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's essentially you look at sort of away, um, which is a, a travel luxury travel brand. They do suitcases. Essentially they they found a, a niche product, which were suitcases mm. that had no sort of emotional attachment to them whatsoever. They create a brand around it. Yeah. And uh and now away is, you know, billion dollar company. Um yeah. There's a lot of other examples, and really for them, their primary metric was customer acquisition: how many customers can they get? And once they've got sort of dominance in that space, then it's part of the profitability. I think it's the same with a lot of businesses in this region.
0: Mm. Um, so just taking a step back, yeah. uh, so direct consumer as a as a model uh, is often related to subscription. It's not sort of be deceived. There's a there's um there's an element that you're that you don't have a bricks and mortar per se to start off with, so you don't have a distributor and that you're actually going direct to the consumer. Um, and even though it's a relatively, even though many of the, uh, the, you know, subscriptions been around in, without the internet b- before, even though many of the parts of this business industry and this, this kind of valuation against it are um, old, uh, some of the, the you know, the new model around VC and the example of a way, they're new. So, but do you think that, uh, as you said, do you think there's already a template for it? Um, if I go right back to the start,
1: sort of direct consumer, I think it's a relatively new term, especially in this region. Um, when we looked at setting up Hoppy and we looked at the internet ecosystem, you know, in my opinion, we're sort of in this region, 10 years behind that of the Western world. You know, we had Souk, Acquired by Amazon in 2017, but yeah, Bezos has been up to his tricks, you know, for for years previous to that. Um, the idea of tokenization and subscription payments, even online payments, obviously Visa and Mastercard numbers, crazy high cash on on delivery compared to to online transactions. So I think, and obviously, especially culture-wise here, malls have always been. Uh, a standard bearer of, of free time you know it's a communal place we'll go shopping and that seems to be the retail bricks and mortar is is massive um, direct to consumer really is an element of, of brand building i think for me it's it's a it's a away from the bricks and mortar like you said it's essentially the way i like to call it and the, my favorite phrase is a, a DNVB, so a digitally native vertical brand So, a brand that has been created that starts on the internet and and with that by say, vertical, they own the whole supply chain.
0: Vertical, in your case, would be?
1: In, in, so. Well, for, uh, vertical, I mean in a such that, say you look at any other sort of traditional retailer, they're buying products from a distributor and selling them. By vertical, I mean with a, a DMVB, you are owning the whole supply chain. So you produce the product, mm. you distribute the own product yourself, oh, vertical, by your own shape, channels, so, yeah, yeah, just completely so from, say if you look at our product, although we don't own the supply chain, you know, we're using a partner to help us. There are a lot of other companies that you know, own the factories, produce their own products, but you know, we take the product straight from the factory. Um, we look after it ourselves. We distribute it by our own, our own channels and solely our own channels. And then we own that whole sort of profile. We own essentially the customer because we know exactly what they're doing through our channels. And mm-hmm. so direct-to-consumer is essentially creating your own product and taking it straight to the consumer. Um, and in this region, I think... Direct consumer is a relatively new concept, um, although Huda is unbelievable. You know, probably the earliest EMVB yeah, beauty in the beauty region.
0: Beauty space, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely fantastic. But for Hoppy, we were, you know, one of the first after Huda to to sort of go direct to consumer. Um, but in the US, there is a hundred percent a template to 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 go and find a product, you know, sell it online, own the channels, and and grow in your space. Um, and I think. Especially if you look in the Western world, you know, with rent prices so high, uh, people were forced to go and sell on online channels. And I think we're seeing the same effect in this region. You know, rent prices have gone you know, mm. through the roof. Um, and obviously with COVID-19, you know, we've gone a, a decade ahead in days, you know, especially in that digital acceleration period. And we've seen brands, sort of businesses, I'm not gonna say brands, but we've seen businesses that have been in the retail space for you know, 20, 30 years basically go on online overnight you know have been doing 0% online sales up to this point which i think is you know negligence in that sense um the dtc mantra is you know go where your customers are and your customers are online mm. um you know it took us 6 7 months to get one product online and get it get it working mm. so can you imagine a lot of these companies especially in this region have have gone and put thousands of skus you Know on, on these platforms, and probably none of them are using Shopify. Um, and, and, and trying to sort of create an e commerce business out of
0: nowhere. Mm. Um, so, the, so I hope we'll talk about the product and the problem that you're solving uh, in a second, but just kind of tapping into that, uh, touching on that. So, what for this region, you mentioned it, it's kind of languishing behind, but also that. Uh, you're doing a different model that you're focusing on product, uh, but uh, what's the word Fuff, profitability? Fuff good, yeah, sorry. Uh, rather than you know pure acquisition and scale in that way, is that because of the region? And what other kind of decisions have you made that you've kind of responded to consumer trends here?
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been really interesting. I remember um, a Kareem uh, press release a couple of years back when they raised, I think, one of the earlier rounds, and. Um, the notion mentioned profitability and So we're not profitable now, we're looking to essentially get market share and then we'll look at profitability. And I think over the last three months, you look at every major technology business or business that has gone on to say, we want to get market share, you know, Airbnb, 1600 people lose their jobs. Um, you know, this idea that
0: They it, want to get profitability now. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, you know, it's a case of we need to streamline our operations because money just doesn't keep coming from nowhere um i think from a personal perspective like nobody prepares for the worst really um you know you always potentially think that you know somewhere along the lines you're maybe you're, optimistic
0: entrepreneurs yeah <laughs> of course
1: right but you know had you said to me in this time last year have you got uh you know money to put one to put to one side that is there if the whole world goes to pot you know would you be able to continue the business i'll be like it's not that's not going to happen
0: do you think just on that you mentioned kind of january you know all the trends that come out and the predictions for the year do you think we we take these seriously um not that someone was saying that COVID's going to happen and, and the world is going to go into lockdown but uh there were some things there are lots of predictions there's lots of research there's lots of data are we actually reading these and going well uh this is likely and this is we need Business continuity planning. We need this sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, do, do you
0: know personally? No, I mean, in
1: in the last sort of twelve months, I've tried to shy away from as much news as possible. Anyway, Um it's just doom and gloom, essentially, right? Mm. Um, and you know, I remember being in the in the car years ago, and I think there was um, uh, Ford. Had employed a, a futurist. Okay. They had a whole team <laughs> yeah. that were employed to predict the future, and I was listening in the car thinking, "This is crazy." Yeah, you know, and I'd love to ask them like, "How many times are your predictions being correct?" Yeah, and uh, you know, probably, you know, I mean, if somebody predicted COVID, then, then congratulations. But <laughs> I just I think that consumer trends, from an e-commerce perspective, yeah, we we listen to them. But I think a, a macro trend, especially forecasting or predicting a global pandemic, is is you know far above anyone's head but
0: is identifying
1: what is controllable and what isn't what can we attribute to to us what can we attribute to the market because i think a lot of people will look at it objectively and just try and blame everything on covid um and and doing that i don't think you can progress Um, we found sort of sort of the biggest takeaways from our business by saying right this is Attributable to, to us. Mm. We can change those things. That is out of our hands. You know, let's not get caught up on those because it, you know, there were a lot of days when Christian, my co-founder and I were were on our phones to each other thinking, what are we going to do here? This is, you know, this is crazy. How can we carry on? Are we going to be, are we going to be okay? Um, but I think once we took a step away and identified, right, well, we can change these things, mm. you know, and put these in our favor. We'll listen to our customers on, on these things. Yes, the market is, is fragile right now, but there's still an opportunity for us.
0: So you were, you managed from your early launch, your launch early this year, you managed to already have customers, uh, who were using the contact lenses and then COVID happened. And what happened then?
1: Yeah. So, um, we, like I said, we, we grew really, um, January was, a, an interesting month. We tested loads of stuff and we, we had good traction. February, mm. um, I think we, we doubled growth again and March, we were going to hopefully double, double growth again. Mm. Um, So we had a really good consumer base and what was fantastic, especially in a subscription business, our churn was was really low. Mm. So churn is essentially if somebody signs up to your product, how long essentially they stay in the system for. So for us as a contact lens business, we would ship out lenses to people every month. If they don't cancel them, we keep shipping them lenses. So for us as a business, it's really important that we keep churn low and obviously keep putting people in the top of the funnel. That's how you grow the business. Um, it would be easy to keep acquiring customers up here, but if they keep dropping out down here, it's pointless.
0: Are contact lenses considered uh, uh, essential, a household costs, or what are they, What's, yeah, so we
1: define it as a replenishable and as such yeah. that it was definitely going to run out and there'll always be a requirement okay. to, to, to add in and that was one of the biggest sort of requirements for when we set up the business we wanted to work with a replenishable product
0: so assuming that churn is rather low generally compared with say streaming or content or things like that
1: yeah it's it's indifferent yes. right because although it's a it's a replenishable product people can choose to wear glasses Mm. Um, and a lot of our market research speaking to consumers is we ask customers like why do you wear contact lenses because there is a choice you know I wore glasses up until I was 26 um, and wanted to wear contact lenses for my wedding Um, and that's why I made the change and and we were talking previously for for me you know I had quite an active lifestyle till I was sort of 25 and I was wearing glasses and and the reason why i started became less active was because i was taking my glasses off trying to play sport and i couldn't see and um i was scared to put lenses in my eyes and so i was playing less and less sport becoming you know less and less active um until i obviously transitioned to wearing contact lenses it gave me that freedom that i could i can see and and do everything sounds really cliched but um, you know, since I hit thirty this year, I, you know I'm the most active I've probably ever been in my life, and I think contact lenses play a big, big part in that. I remember playing football about four, four, five years ago, and I was like, I can't see the ball, <laughs> and this is an issue. And then your, co- the yeah, yeah, just, your confidence <laughs> is gone, yeah. and so you want to sort of stop playing football. Um, but there's obviously if you're working at home and I do it I wear my glasses you know you have to put your you know, your lenses in every time um, some people don't wear lenses every day so there isn't necessarily a strict schedule that you're going to wear them diligently every day for 30 days and you're going to need a new box some people uh, wear them every other day or just mm-hmm. wear them when they go and do yoga or anything so everybody's got a unique sort of uh, Is there
0: a percentage? Do people have both? And does that change for this region?
1: It's, it's really interesting it's, it's very hard to get you know actual statistics we're, we're doing more and more speaking to our customers now and i'd say you know the large majority are contact lens wearers through and through i'd say we have like less than 15 percent on a bi-monthly plan so they'll be buying lenses and getting shipped every other month mm. um, but the majority of our customers are getting lenses sent to them every 28 days
0: yeah and does it change in this region are people lens wearers naturally in this region Look, as compared with anywhere
1: yeah well again it's uh, it's one of those this region is is, is is rife with crazy numbers, okay. you know. Especially, and I think I think it comes from. People wanting to raise money. People just produce mental numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, our time, our total addressable market is sixty billion dollars, yeah. and you know, Let, it's, it's, yeah. so the numbers let's
0: can be. Big, yeah, let's it, just add one point two billion. Ex- billion. Ex- yeah,
1: exactly. So it's <laughs> it's right, one yeah. of them, and and so when we first actually initially tried to conceptualize what we were doing and tried to put into perspective how many people wear contact lenses, yeah, the numbers were just all over the place. I mean, I could spurt off numbers of the eyewear industry in the region, but yeah,
0: it's well, what, what I'm getting to the you don't have to change behavior too much there like no. there, there isn't an adverse people don't need to be educated on contact lenses no it's just about reaching the, people yeah
1: the interesting uh, statistic that we learn is 70 percent of contact lenses globally are still sold in stores okay so it's an antiquated market hmm. um and a lot of that is tied to people getting their eyes tested whether that's for the first time or getting them retested and then you've got an optician there suggesting that you buy xyz brand um and so, you know, traditionally, that's how it's been as a model, you know, but 30%. I mean, there's a, a company in the US that do a very similar thing to us called Hubble. Um, you know, they've raised 70, 80 million dollars. They're doing 60 plus million dollar turnover every year now after three years, and they have less than 1% of the market share.
0: How much are, are there, is a subscription
1: Pretty much the same price as ours. How uh, uh, much is yours? So essentially in dirhams, it's a, it's 180 dirhams a month. Um, we, in terms of...
0: 180 dirhams a month. So how, many, so, yeah, so how many subscribers would they be having? So
1: for 180 dirhams a month, you'd get 30 days worth of lenses. Mm. So 60, uh, 30 pairs, 60 lenses. You select the prescription in both your eyes and, and away you go. Mm. Um, cancel any time. We have a, a 50% off for the first month. Um, Christian and I really, I mean, we're, we're big direct consumer fans. Anyway, you know, I followed, and I'm, I'm hugely passionate about the space. I think it's mm. fascinating, yeah. um, beyond business there it's brand building now. I think that's the difference, you know, people grew up wanting to be businessmen. You know, we, we are, we are brand men, essentially it's about building a brand and, and building a relationship with the customer and, and going through that cycle. Yeah. Um. And so there's a, an old Gillette tactic that they created in the early 1900s of get get people in the system with a really you know low offer that's almost too good to be true. And then obviously capture them later with higher payments on, on bigger products, offer yeah. them different things. I think gyms do the same.
0: Gillette, you mentioned. Yeah, Gillette. And they yeah. were kind of disrupted by a... By yeah, direct to
1: consumer. I mean, Gillette had. uh I think again, we spoke briefly off air about timing, and Gillette uh, had unbelievable timing as such that when they really sort of came to prominence in the early nineteen hundreds, they obviously were backed. And supported by the U.S. military, you know, supplying okay. all the gear, all the all the razors and everything to to all the um, the troops. And so, so when they came back into the U.S., uh, using you know the Gillette products, and and obviously everyone yeah. you share out what you use, they became the market leader okay, and dominated yeah. the space.
0: So just on timing, you mentioned an interesting uh, story of a brand in the U.S. And if you could share that story around COVID, but related to a question. Did you have a with uh, Christian, which is your co-founder, in early March? Did you, for a second, think could we do something that people need, maybe in the uh, protective space or maybe in hygiene or something like that? Did you think to pivot? Um, I'll answer that first,
1: okay, <laughs> because we had many a conversation and um, we spoke about it. You know, can we diversify our product range um, and? We came very close to placing an order on, on something that um, was in the eyewear space, but not, you know, we looked at the idea of some, some potential hoppy uh, blue light lenses, you know, not contact lenses, but glasses, obviously, with everybody being on their screens more at home.
0: So, they, so the notion is that people don't use contact lenses as much if they're not in the office, if they're at home, they put on yeah, glasses.
1: Be, well, they could still wear their, their sort yeah. of lenses, but they'll be looking at a computer screen all day at home. Do we want to, you know, provide a, a different product? But you
0: didn't um, think to kind of pivot completely and go into a mask business or something well, like that. No, I think
1: I think every man and his dog has, has <laughs> thought about doing that, and um, so no we we had we obviously our suppliers are based in in taiwan and our, our sort of um fulfillment centers in hong kong and, and so we were inundated mm. um with emails from them saying do you want you know thousands of n95 masks do you want yeah. this and we were like look guys we'd, we'd love to pivoting, yeah. there was there was, a, there was a period of time when obviously there's a huge shortage of masks in the us and i think the us government were, were buying n95 masks just for above um trade price and um, you know, we thought you know, but no, we never contemplated deviating from. from you're, you're early
0: in what you're doing, and you know, once you kind of, it's there's still a need for it during the pandemic, yeah. and you think you'll grow anyway. So
1: we we sort of said absolutely not that. I just you know, we we believed in what we were doing. It had legs. We were optimistic, thinking that it probably this wasn't going to be around forever. Um, but I think after about a month going through all the you know the turmoil of sleepless nights I think we both just looked at each other and just said like right this is the new reality now this is how we do business in in the new world mm-hmm. um, and so we on that we sort of looked at why our customers were canceling their subscriptions I said to you yeah. that we had a, a big increase in people dropping off um, and we'd always ask customers why they were canceling because that information is critical for us to improve. And the, the large majority weren't cancelling because the product was poor. They were cancelling because they they lost their job or they weren't going to the office anymore or they were going back to their home countries because of circumstances here. And, and I think firsthand we witnessed just what was really going on, you know, for people mm. um, and using sort of that knowledge, we were like, OK, subscriptions might not be for everyone here um let's let's decide that we don't want to lose customers purely because they don't want a subscription so at that point we sort of didn't pivot from products but we sort of pivoted from our business model we went from being a subscription only business to a product business and we sort of said to ourselves if you want our lenses you know you can get them however you want to get them well that's in a subscription where you'll save the most money you can buy a three month or a six month bulk package or you can just buy a one-off box and we won't hassle sure you. So, although we didn't shift away from the product offering, we pricing just said. To,
0: and the business model. Yeah.
1: We to just you. said to, to customers if, if you don't want a subscription, you know, if, if your circumstances have changed, you know, yeah. we will we won't lose you as a customer because of your circumstances. We'll sort of, we'll evolve, we'll grow and we'll turn into a, a product business that sells. we, you know, we sell contact lenses. Yeah. Whereas before when we launched the business, we were a subscription contact lens business.
0: Yeah. You were kind of led by the kind of model and the, the, the yeah, the, the, yeah. How many people you can get. And what yeah. I think it goes, it goes actually back to the
1: dollar shave club idea and how they disrupted Gillette. Gillette had 60, 70 plus market share for years and years and years, you know, nearly a, a century. Um, and Dollar Shave, Clay, Dollar Shave well, came in. was one of their competitors. Yeah. 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 And Michael Jubin was, was fantastic. I don't know if you've listened to the Guy Raz episode. It, it's fantastic um, on how I built this. Um, and Michael talks about breaking up, again, the antiquated space. And mm. again, it was all chance how we got into the space. I'd listen to it if I was you. Otherwise, I'm just going to repeat everything what he says. Um, <laughs> but he he almost essentially fell into these Razors. It okay. was almost. It wasn't. I want to set up a razor business. He was offered, I think, twenty thousand razors. You want to sell them, buy them, and he did. And they, they created this viral video, paid four thousand dollars for it. Yeah, and I think it's one of the most watched YouTube. Yeah, um, I remember
0: the videos, but they never, never subscribed to their product. It's absolutely yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. But so we go
1: yeah. back to that model, and everyone thinks it
0: branding. It was destructive. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, you know, everyone thinks you need to, to 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 crack into a space. You need to take market share from somebody else. But I think when they were acquired by by Unilever, they had you know less than 10% market share. Okay. They're taken away from... from from. Um, we will go share. back to the
0: story I mentioned, but on this very point, uh, on product and lenses, and you mentioned eyewear space, um, I remember years ago I was working in the UK, and I worked on the team that we were setting up, Specsavers yep. on digital and on social media, and it was just fascinating to see, they had 700 stories in the UK, uh you know and to think of that process when when you say you're disrupting that's just in one market the opticians the the relationship they have with the customer is that a thought process that will hoppy be more than lenses in terms of that relationship and the range of products that Specsavers has
1: yeah good question i think there's all there's already a player you know Warby parker in the space uh you yeah. know one of the the standard bearers for direct to consumer
0: businesses they also have bricks and mortar they also have stores a- exactly
1: but in, if I just sort of deviate yeah. into why they have stores okay. um, in the US obviously rent the new rent is acquisition costs on Facebook and Instagram it's such a huge market hugely competitive market now that everyone's competing for, for ad space in the US so many brands trying to capture your attention that you know, you know, customer acquisition costs on social media is so high and so brands have had to think right: well, where can we go now that's cheaper than acquiring customers on social media. Can we get to our customers and see them and talk to them? And that's why they've gone to retail now because, you know, rents are cheaper than acquiring customers on, on social media. And it's obviously increasing that relationship. So I think in a life cycle, yes, we would look at the the bricks and mortar. I think the the, the most important thing for us is the relationship with the customer. Yeah, which is um,
0: proven in terms of responding to that sort of pricing model and that you're listening all the time. Yeah,
1: I I think it's absolutely critical. Mm. It is how you improve as a business. Um, I think now the biggest metric as a business or as a brand is not how many customers you have, it's how strong your relationship is with those customers. Yeah. Um, You know, that is more important to me than, you know, going out, you know, we could go out and spend a ton of money on Facebook and and get loads of top of the funnel customers on a a really great deal. Mm. But our our attention on those customers is probably very low.
0: To, to stay on track and to stay focused do you have a mission statement or you know you, we mentioned away or casper these kind of almost listed companies in direct to consumer warby parker and what was the brand you mentioned who pivoted with the offer you, so judy Judy, yeah, yeah. um so you, you look at the kind of how things are evolving how do you guys say this is hobby this is where we're going
1: i think we mission statement, uh, you know, I've all, I remember, you know, producing pitch decks for my previous business. And, and when we started thinking about raising money and, and, and it's like, everyone has these statements, but you know, really do they actually matter? And I think, mm. um, we're a small business. There's two of us, it's Christian and I, it's literally the two of us. Um, and, I just think we practice what we preach. I think, you know, through COVID, we had uh, delays with deliveries and and we were delivering hand delivering lenses ourselves, you know, doing what we could to try and help customers. I've heard so many stories of brands, you know, going AWOL when deliveries were delayed, you know, some massive brands, which I won't name. And people's frustrations with these brands just grew and grew and grew whereas i think you know we were upfront and honest we you know we answer our own emails you know you, christian at, you know bhoppy.com or charles at we'll send you an email you know if there's a problem and delay you know we're going to be there you know we started hoppy because contact lenses don't need to be so expensive we're on your side you know we're here to give you you know honest pricing mm-hmm. for a product that you need all the time and i think Rather than stay, this is what we do, this is what we're about. I just think we 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 are our customers. you know, I wear the products every day. I pay full price for my lenses every month. Um, you know, I get them delivered every month last month they came literally two days, and I was going to be out of them. It, you know yeah, yeah, we yeah.
0: are in the process. Um, I subscribe to a vitamin company in the uk heights and yeah. it, you're looking at the nicely packaged and you're looking at how many vitamins you have left and then it arrives yeah. and you're like wow these guys know what they're but, doing
1: but i think you know we are we're users we use the product you know we're part of the process we listen to the customers you know yeah is that mm. scalable who knows um but i think the moment the founders lose touch with the customers and lose that conversation everything can potentially you know go west so That's although we don't have a, a mission statement i just think we are customers our own brand So you Um,
0: stick even as you scale and you grow, you're going to stay in touch with the customers. Yeah,
1: hundred percent. Like it would be easy for us to to potentially work with a a social media company to help us with our social. But you know, Christian does a fantastic job um, interacting with customers. I think that's one of our key USPs is our tone of voice and how we interact with customers. Mm. Yeah, we do polarize. It's not for everyone. We understand that. But I don't think you know you can you can please everyone. And so you know when we get comments about tone of voice, especially in the medicinal boring space that we're in. Um, you know, that is us, it's us speaking. And, and yes, the mm-hmm. brand voice is slightly different to how, you know, I speak and how Christian speaks. Um, you know, being the customer, you know, just being on their side is, is why I think long-term, you know, we will be able to maintain that from a culture perspective. You know, we, we live and breathe the business mm-hmm. as opposed to stepping in and somebody else answering this. And a lot of people have messaged saying, your customer service is brilliant. And we're like, you know, why is it? Because, you know, we're, and literally, well, you you responded to our message. You know, the benchmark in this region is so low (laughs) for customer service. Um, And we get, you know, compliments on that all the time. Or people say, you know, I spoke to a member of your team the other day. And we're like, look, we don't have a team. You know, you are speaking to the organ grinders. Like,
0: Mm. we are
1: on the ground for you.
0: Do you have a, as well as the customer service and replying and, and that sort of thing, do you have a contact strategy? Because sometimes... Direct to consumers, in my experience, uh, for me, if I'm a subscriber, sometimes it might be over. They might send. They might be trying to personalise. They might yeah. try and build a relationship. It's cool. I just want to buy something, you know. And there might be too many scheduled emails. Like, what's the balance? Or how do you look at that?
1: Yeah, it, it's difficult, and I think it, it goes back really. I think to sort of, I'm I'm not going to call it e-commerce anymore. I'm just going to call it commerce because mm-hmm. this is the future of business. Um, and it really is, we look at open rates as our biggest um, sort of driver of, of what's happening. And everyone talks about email lists and it's how many people they've got on that list. That's yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. You know, you might have 10,000 people on your email list, but if 2% open, it's pointless. Yeah. So we look at open rates, the majority and, and what people are up to. We use a, a smart system called Klaviyo, which is the market leader for, for e-commerce email integrations um you know we don't use anything fancy we're not doing anything crazy you know we're just learning from some of the biggest businesses in the, in the west and, and trying to implement it here so you know clavio for us is an amazing tool we're looking is that at ways
0: subscription management or for email no it's
1: purely for emails um so for, yeah purely for emails i think i think traditionally retail is all all about has been all about a purchase, whether that's somebody walking in a store and purchasing something. The moment that transaction has been done, essentially for a, for a business, it's finished. You've got the money. It's over. Mm. Um, I think it's evolved now where uh, a transaction, yes, it's the most important monetarily. But in terms of the grand scheme of things, in terms of customer happiness, you know, lifetime value of a customer coming back, um, there are so many touch points that y- you mentioned, whether that's post-purchase, that's pre-purchase you know, asking for reviews, you know, if we're on people's cases too much with too many emails. Uh, it's a fine line. It's, it's all about testing. It
0: goes um, back to listening to the customer. Yeah.
1: Completely. You know, we we A-B a, B test a lot of um, subject lines, what gets more open rates, what doesn't. Um, we look at the content, we look at talking about our lenses, whether it's, you know, scientifically, we could say we have 58% moisture content in our mm-hmm. lenses, or we could say they're super comfy, no irritation. So we just look at everything on a really granular basis. Um, we talk to customers. There's, you can unsubscribe potentially from emails. You can, um, you can click now with an option to receive less emails. Mm. So you can just go through the flows of just essentially post-purchase, which would be your order confirmation, shipping out, reminder emails. Um, so it's, in, it's up to a customer. In terms of
0: uh, software and payments and things like that, how have you found the availability of software and how have they worked in this region? Have you had to customize anything or how have you kind of found that experience?
1: Um in, in this region, you know, from my experience, everything's a nightmare. And everyone's um I, I don't know what it is, but I think everyone's favored option compared here is compared
0: with where 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 is where is Dreamlands?
1: <laughs> the states. Um, you know, from a business perspective. Um, you know we set up with stripe Atlas which is you know stripe's version of essentially a, a global company um, and within two weeks we set up in the in the us we had a fully us entity we had a, a us bank account um I think it was within 10 days and we could use stripe as a payment gateway for me the 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 best payment gateway out there um and whereas you know my previous business trying to set up a business bank account here is you know, there's no point talking about it because that's all we talk about. Um, but there's, I think but there's
0: people a. People do, and people do have payment gateways in this. Of region. course,
1: yeah. I think there's, and, and and what's amazing now is to see payment gateways in this region align themselves with a lot of software from the states. You know, Pay for um, checkout, amazing checkout's an amazing company. All obviously Shopify set up and everything. Um, but for us to, to get to market quickly, mm. we did things slightly differently and allowed us then to do everything else locally, a little bit, you know, in our own time mm. and we didn't want to be in a position where we were waiting for protocol in this region to then set up the business. We're like, can we get set up quickly? Can we get going? It gives us time to then go and do what we need to do after that.
0: Do you think, so obviously the middle East in the market is known as an emerging market, and, uh, the kind of GDP is lower than the U S uh. Do you think that this region will emerge as a market, like uh, put that into context, there used to be the BRIC nations and obviously China emerged, China, yeah. China wasn't, China was a place where, uh, you know, made in China as opposed to big global companies that yeah. the US is envious of, but Brazil didn't emerge in the same way, India is emerging, do you think that this region will emerge?
1: Uh, good question. I mean, I had a, a good conversation with a, a gentleman called Emmett Shine in the US. Emmett used to run a, an agency called Gin Lane, which essentially built some of the most famous brands, you know, in the direct consumer space, uh, hugely knowledgeable, and, and we were speaking about internet ecosystems. And I think, this is my own opinion, this region is too focused on catching up, whereas I think it can surpass I think if you look at some of the businesses that are evolving and coming to fruition now are almost carbon copies of businesses that have been existing in the Western world for five, 10 years. Um, And rather than doing things slightly different, it seems to be we're just sort of catching up, trying to copy. And so you'll always remain behind. There's some incredibly talented people here. There's access to to capital here like there potentially might not be in the the Western world. So in my opinion... If we keep trying to catch up, then they'll never catch up. But I think there needs to be an idea of let's do some things differently here. Um, You know, there's like Cameo have been doing a great job in in the States and and, and in Europe. It's an amazing business. How exciting. And obviously we now have a Cameo equivalent in the region here. Yeah, Yeah, here. Um, You know, we had, you know, Klarna, Afterpay have been doing amazing things to restructure payments on e-commerce. And now in this region we have um, Tabby and... uh, some and Spotty Me—they're all doing, you know, the afterpay. So it's, it's seemingly like the region just comes sort of maybe two, three years behind.
0: But they are happening, and in some markets they don't happen. And, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, it, maybe they might never catch up with the the GDP gap with the U.S. and the three hundred twenty million people in the U.S. and the three hundred twenty million people in in advertising alone. There's two hundred billion dollars spent for the same population as four billion is spent. Yeah. So catching up, is if you're, going, if you're catching up a little bit, it's not that yeah. bad a bad thing. It's, you know, on that, <laughs> it's
1: actually interesting. I think uh, as COVID has obviously been hugely detrimental across the board. I think even in small instances like with cash on delivery payments have been hugely prominent in this region for years. I know Saudi Arabia banned the cash on delivery payments for a period of time. And, and I think those sort of steps, um, you know, moving, you know, Mastercard, Visa, all their reports, you know, online payments... You know, cash and delivery is like 75% a couple of years ago, you know, compared to, you know, pretty much all online payments are done online with, with, with credit cards in, 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 in the Western world. So I think those sort of steps will help increase that, that closing the gap. Um, and I think it's funny, like in all industries, I ask a lot of friends I have outside the region and what do you think of the region? And obviously everyone thinks it's very fragmented, but in terms of population size of the whole GCC, you know, it's colossal and it's unified by one language. And, you know, that's part of my previous business. You know, you look to this whole space and like a lot of Europe is unified. Any languages, by, you know, yeah. 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 It's, whereas here, it's so one language. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so I think yeah, I, it's amazing, I think, what we're seeing now, especially yeah. a lot of brands are popping up. Even if you're just seeing all the bakery brands, etc., people, you know, cooking things or, or sweet brands, whatever it yeah. is. yeah I think I've never seen that boom of young entrepreneurs in this region before. Yes, there is a lot of talk of people setting up businesses, but.
0: I think in the last three months. It's great. And it's like you mentioned, it's it not all focused on this, these massive valuations and growth. They're kind of going, well, I can set this up without the cost of rent yeah. and I can deliver a product to a customer, be it uh, you know, bakery or, or a contact. Exactly. Restaurant.
1: I think it, it's amazing. I think, look, we the barrier to entry to setting a business up in the States is very low. Mm. The barrier to entry here has traditionally been being, being quite high. Yeah. Um, and I think that will, that will change over time. I think there, it's always changing. But I think if we go on a macro level, barrier to entry to manufacturing is really low now. If somebody had asked me five or 10 years ago, right, can you go and get some contact lenses manufactured? I'd be like, I haven't got a clue how to do that. Yes. Or, you know, can I go and do this or do that? You look at the amount of clothing brands starting in the UK or in the US, A uh, new ones set up every 10 minutes. <laughs> because manufacturing is accessible now you know, we managed to fly to Taiwan and speak to a whole host of manufacturers about, you know, essentially white labeling a product. Um, and this, you know, the barrier to entry is so much lower now that, you know, even if you go on AliExpress, you know, you can find anything.
0: AliExpress is the payments for Alibaba.
1: So Alibaba, you got Alibaba, AliExpress is you get quicker delivery. So a lot of people use it potentially to, to source samples. Like um, Brian, though. Yeah, essentially, right. Um, you know, so... You, you find out suppliers, and you know. For me, if you find something on Etsy, you go and meet people and go and see. A lot of people just buy off it and sell it, which yeah. is you know essentially drop shipping, right? But you know, you can get access to products now, and so yeah. it's whether you know you you might want to sell on Amazon, you might want to set up your own store. You know, Shopify done amazing. You know, big uh, big commerce they, um, IPO'd yesterday. You know, the 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 do tools are all that.
0: Shopify and Amazon. Yeah.
1: We we don't do Amazon, so we just sell purely through Shopify. Um, we don't do Amazon because. While well, Amazon might give you great infrastructure, access to customers, exposure, you don't control any of the customer data. Mm-hmm. Amazon controls all of that. I'm a huge Jeff Bezos fan. He's, you know, I'm, I'm, completely blown away and mesmerized what he's created. But from a, a brand perspective, I would always stay away from Amazon because, you know, you don't get, yeah, you, you don't get the customer about, yeah. data, and so we just sell purely on Shopify.
0: So, So, uh, you raised a seed round. Uh, two questions around that what's the so what's the next step what are you looking at and related to that what what do you choose on growth is it manufacturing yourself is it regional and what does a company like hoppy invest in
1: yeah good question yeah so we we did raise which was um uh i had a lot of respect for omar kassim and what he'd done in this region and he essentially came into the party to help us essentially he, he
0: has a a venture he has he exited an e-commerce.
1: Yeah, company. so yeah, Omar uh, formerly had Pedo, which was acquired by Noon um, and now he's building a new business called Nomad and and so um, it was that e-commerce experience that obviously we wanted to try and extract and that's been hugely beneficial took us to market. Mm. Um, we had grand plans and I've you know as a I'm 30 now and I, as you know I, I'm blown away Brilliant. by it. <laughs> I'm blown away. I've always been interested in business and I always thought that I wanted to go out and raise a ton of capital um, have a big team do crazy things and everything. And, and, um, I think Christian and I, especially over COVID we sat down and and really reevaluated what what we wanted from life. And, um, you know, we don't wear suits, you know, we're not suit wearers, you know, we, we don't want to go and raise a ton of cash and be held accountable by people that don't necessarily know our product or know the space. Um, we don't want a a, a huge team for sake of a huge team want to be as lean and, and, and profitable as possible. Um, Because, you know, we love what we do. The last thing we need is, uh, you know, look at Casper, where, you know, they just got to a point from a mattress company where they Mm -hmm. were selling mattresses at a loss, hoping that one day they could IPO and and do that. You know, Peloton, another example, on-demand fitness. um, You get the products, hardware, software. They were struggling. John Foley, again, spoke a, a long time that they didn't really... They were losing money, a lot of money. And then suddenly COVID happens, timing, and yeah. they absolutely crushed it. Yeah. You know, Mirror is another example, losing a lot of money. They've just been acquired by Lululemon for $500 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very different to that. So we looked at growth in a as such. How quickly can we become sustainable? Um, how can we get to profitability Um, as soon as possible. You know, we don't need vanity metrics. You know, raising money only just makes the runway the same size. You're just going down it a hell of a lot quicker. And so the pressure increases. I'm not saying we're um, scared of pressure, but, you know, we want to be in control of our own business.
0: So potentially you would remain a private company. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I th- yeah, yeah, essentially. I think now you're seeing so many, especially in e-commerce, so many new ways of of being able to raise money to be able to 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 push the business forward. You're looking at ClearBank, ClearBank, sorry, it's a Canadian, essentially VC firm. Now, because obviously with Shopify and Stripe, all your payments are there to be seen by anyone. You can't fudge numbers, you know, in a deck. You know, you, they can tap into your your numbers every month and, and they can offer you money. Based on your revenue output and take a small share away from each sale. So, you know, there's so many ways now that you can grow businesses. It's not necessarily going to a VC and getting you know large cash sums. So, for us, it's how we can remain sustainable, keep the majority of our business in our in our control, and and on growth. You know, we looked at hobbies as a brand, and and the, the big plan obviously was regionally expansion. We'll never do different products. With Hoppy, um, but obviously the U.S. market has become really interesting to us. It's a Western brand, really, in a sense how we built it. So can we go and take it to to new markets to grow, mm. as opposed to diversifying the product offering? To do that the way yeah. You are, yeah, I think in a grand scheme, like we love direct to consumer, we love that element and brand building and and the relationships with you know community. Um, for me, I don't think I'll be selling contact lenses with Hoppy. You know, when I'm when I'm fifty, when I'm sixty. Um, you know, we'd love to to look at other product areas, um, eventually down the line. Obviously, everything's on Hoppy now, but for me, there's, there's so many opportunities out there with um, you know stagnated, antiquated markets mm. um, that you know I'm, I'm blown away by the space. So I'm sure down the line there could be some some change ups. But Hoppy will always be a, a content lens company, mm. and our growth will be fueled by you know increasing to different markets
0: and if you were to invest it would be on people on marketing on product or R&D what 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 do you think is needed? Or is it a mix of everything yeah I think you know
1: we 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 look at the business um, with granular data right we know we know the exact product costs. We know the acquisition costs to acquire a customer. Um, you know, we know our shipping costs. We know everything down to a T. I'm not saying other businesses don't, but you know, when a co- we know the customer value to us, we have their lifetime value predicted, how long they'll stay in the system for. Um, so in terms of, we know what acquiring a customer means to us. So for us, investing in the business would be in, in more product, um, because especially with a direct-to-consumer business or you know, manufacturing, the more you buy, the better price you get. Um, so we can reduce costs massively by buying more products. And then it goes back to an acquisition game. Like there's a great stat that 40% of every VC dollar raised in the US is spent on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, um, It's an acquisition game. You know, It is It is a game in that sense. So for us, it would be increasing products and, and acquiring more customers. Yeah. And when I say acquiring, it sounds really it's like we've just put a head or a number on somebody. We don't mean it like that. It's purely through, you know, through your Facebook or Instagram channels where, you know, you, you'd buy through an ad. And, and roughly speaking, we know how much that costs to acquire a customer. Mm. And then it's over to, to us to work our magic to make sure that they stay in the system for as long as possible.
0: And do you have uh, a lifetime value metric of a customer for a hobby?
1: Yeah, there, we, we've we got... Um, there's, very, there's a, a lot of ways of calculating lifetime value in sort of a, a commerce space. Um, so we've worked that out. We know exactly where it's a combination of sort of churn, um, average order value, mm. um, but as well in our space, it's slightly different to other products. And as such, that if you if you buy contact lenses, unless you get laser eye surgery, you're going to be in the system. You're going to be wearing lenses for the rest of your life, yeah. right? And unless something crazy happens and you know your eyesight is perfect when you wake up tomorrow but so we have the added benefit as an actual lifetime value of a customer can be a hell of a lot more but yeah we, we have a pretty nice na- sort of as nailed as on people metric don't
0: go blind yeah exactly <laughs> we be fine but it's interesting um, so just going back to the kind of that was an interesting statistic on the acquisition and we see you know uh, how good a job uh, the platforms and the tech giants have done on uh performance lower funding uh ad products yeah uh, and it as you said it, it you know they've done a good product job and delivery uh and product and self-serving all these different things but also on getting extracting that that spend from companies but going back to dollar shape club they did it a lot on youtube per se and youtube don't have a performance if some but at the time they didn't Uh, what are you doing with Hoppy that isn't lower funnel? What are you doing on brand and what's your view on that?
1: Good question. Um, I mean, so my first affinity with Jeff Bezos came from a book called The Everything Store by by Brad Stone and um, an amazing book. talks really about the the early days Amazon, you know, why they do what they do and how, in my opinion, you can't beat Bezos. You can't. Unbelievable business, unbelievable bloke. As much as everyone says he's got too much money and all this, from a business perspective, what he's created... Who he's a sadly say obliterated, you know, he's shut down antiquated markets. You know, look at you know how they did with Kindle and what they did with Kindle and, and eBooks is phenomenal. Um, and in Amazon, one of the biggest things they talk about is, is flywheels. And a flywheel essentially is something that stores and and produces a lot of energy, right? And this is what they talk about, and, and how you can create as many files as possible. So essentially, from our perspective, it's a sociology associated to Keeping your customers happy, and in turn, if your customers are happy, they will share that with like minded other customers um, so it's generating these flywheels that will allow you to grow your business organically um, and that organic growth is such an interesting perspective. You look at the rise of high smile, um, everyone thinks conor McGregor, Kylie Jenner, and everything with with their Instagram and uh, sort of partnerships, but before that, they were working with with twenty people with twenty thousand followers you know, you using those influencer campaigns to reach people and, and that allowed them then to go and pay the big bucks for, for Connor and, and and Kim and Kylie and everything. So organic growth is absolutely critical to us. So it's how can we make you know mm. our product easily shareable, you know? can we infiltrate a family if we if we if the mother or father buys our lenses can we ensure that they then tell their children to buy our lenses and it's about post-purchase experience it's, it's where we think we differentiate ourselves massively you know somebody can set up a contact lens brand tomorrow no problem um but it's i think for us it's not a the product is good but that shouldn't be the deciding factor of your business of course it should be good it's everything that goes with it. So whether it's, you know, we've redesigned our shipping box now, creating, you know, an Instagrammable product. You know, it goes back. People want to take photo. Who wants to take a photo of yeah. a, a white medicinal box? Nobody. You know, so that's why we designed a colorful box. Can we get people posting it on social media? Yeah, you sent um, us
0: a nice little gift of it this morning. Yeah, nice, it? nice,
1: <laughs> a nice little gift. But it's it's, it's, it's those true. elements. It's, you know, everyone loves a flat lay, right? You see Aesop has grown immeasurably because people love taking photos of the bottles on their kitchen tops or bathroom counters.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's it's that sharing. And so for us, it's creating that flywheel. Can we create a product and an experience that people rely on? Because people need lenses every month. And can we be that trusted standard bearer to make sure that you never run out of lenses? From Because if you run out of lenses, you're scratching around, looking in your gym bag, and it can be a nightmare. So it's a case of can we just instill trust into consumers that then they are willing to do our sort of business for us and spread the word organically so you know it's, it's it's that for us you know we have a top of the funnel plan but i think as well at the same time it's can we make sure our customers are selling hoppy for us
0: interesting that's all we've got time for today but thanks a lot for sharing the story that went so quickly by the way no you have full of information and uh it'd be great to chat again down below. no
1: thanks for having me really enjoyed it
0: thanks a lot thanks a lot Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me.
1: I like building something that has legacy.